This episode is brought to you by 17 Hats, your all-in-one business management platform to save you from time-sucking tasks. Put hours back in your day with easy-to-use features like online scheduling, invoices, contracts, questionnaires, and much more. Learn more at 17hats.com. You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Perry. How are you? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and I would like to express my condolences. Well, why? Did something happen? Well, you are, in fact, from Great Britain, are you not? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, the longest reigning monarch in the history of the world passed away this week queen victoria's been dead for a hundred years Ray. she reigned longer than queen victoria who did your queen queen elizabeth not ringing a bell yes yes i know she's been the queen your entire life oh oh lizzie <laughs> lizzie yes yeah. little bit little bit they Liz- called her when she was a kid little bit lizzie little bit no, little yeah. bit, little bit. Yeah. anyway she, she passed away and i have to say this uh that um the two most famous people to pass away, I would say, in my lifetime. Both of them passed away while I was at the dentist. Is that so? I was sitting in the orthodontist office in 1977 when Elvis died. And I was on my way to have a root canal looked at when I received word that the queen had died. Yeah, it is um, not unexpected. But yeah, it is. uh, She's a, you know, a lot of people have strong feelings about the monarchy in, in the UK. And you know, people get very angry about it and uh, or some people are, are very, you know, they see it as patriotic to support them. And you cannot deny what with what sort of class and dignity she did the job over such no. a long time. Like, she no. was, you know, she's uh, she's definitely an iconic, an iconic part of history and 96 years old and pretty much kicking butt all the way up until the end. We should all be so lucky. I have immense respect for her. And. Um, you know, her approval rating was 90%. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty high. And I mean, she took a pledge when she was 21 years old, she pledged herself to government service for the rest of her life. And she absolutely believed it. And she did it. And when you think about it, the only controversy surrounding the the queen ever in, in the entire time I knew of her, the only controversy was when Diana died and people were upset because they weren't flying the flag over Buckingham Palace at half mass. And she was just like, that that flag only exists as a marker to say that we are here. It's not like a it's not wasn't it wasn't the British flag. It was the monarchy flag. And th- that flag it they just it's a flag they fly. Whenever she's there, they put that flag up. So it wasn't she was just like, I don't I don't understand. This isn't this isn't this flag doesn't mean what you think it means, and it's not supposed to be flown at half staff. Or it's only supposed to be flown in half staff as a, if a member of the actual family dies. And she wasn't a member of the family. She was divorced from us. And um, she eventually did fly at half staff. But that's like, that's it. In her entire reign, that's the only controversy she really had. She stayed clear of getting too political. She stayed clear of coming out and, 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 and making a mess of herself. Meanwhile, everyone in her family was, was you know, did, did not ignore oh, controversy. Oh, yeah. Everybody in her family got involved. They got divorced. They threw fits. They, they, you name it, they did it. 
Meanwhile, she stayed the course. She did her job and she held her duty above all else. So I have nothing but respect for her. I always have. I, w- I would wonder what was the last thing that she said. Like, did she just finally get it off her chest what a bunch of jackasses her family is? Like, did she just go like, screw you, screw you, you're cool, screw you, you know, something like that. Uh, But I have a feeling she was classy all the way, all the way until the end, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when they talked about uh, who's the, who are the two that just quit? Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Harry. Prince Harry. And when they would talk about, you know, that she was kind of distant or cold, I'm like, yes, She's been basically playing the same role for 90 years or whatever. She doesn't know how to not be that person anymore. That is above all. It's above family. It's above all is her commitment to this role that she plays in Great Britain. And so, I don't know. You kind of got to respect somebody who can say, this is what I'm going to do. And then they stick to it their whole life. She, was, she became queen when she was 25. Yeah, 25 years old. She was 25. Oh, yeah. She wasn't supposed to ever be queen because her dad wasn't supposed to be king. Like, would you be able to take over the reins of a of a country no. at the age of twenty five to become the to become the monarch of a country? Not the way she though? did. Not yeah. with the grace and the poise that she did. No, I would have been saying stuff. Come, on, I piss people off all the time now. Can you imagine if I actually had the power that she had <laughs> and the money and the bully pulpit? Oh, please! I would have yeah. been out there being like, "Get out of the Falklands! What are you doing? You know, yeah. or whatever." I don't know. I would have been. I would. I would have been. I would have been talking out loud. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, whether or not you're, you're a supporter, I know we have a lot of UK listeners, so uh, wh- whether or not you're, you're a supporter of the, the monarchy in general, you cannot deny the, the class and dignity of, of Queen Elizabeth II. So, you know, rest in, rest in power, Queenie. Uh, the Queen is dead, and now long live the King. We got uh, King Charles. Yeah, for, for however, you know, a decade maybe. I mean, he's in his 70s. Yeah, so, you know... You know, we'll be we'll be we'll be to Prince William uh, before you know it. So there you have it. I did see one thing. I saw a story which was pretty great from um, one of her security detail, and he said that they were at Balmora, where she like preferred to stay, and that uh, she would like to go out for picnics, and she sometimes frequently would go alone, and so it would just be her and him. And they go out, they have a nice picnic and a nice chat, and they're walking back along a country road there, and a couple approaches them, Americans. And they start talking. Oh, you guys are from around here? Yeah. Oh, you know, they're talking to to the queen. And clearly they don't recognize her. Right. (laughs) And they're like, oh, and how long have you been coming up here? And she's like, oh, I've been coming up here most of my life. Since 1930. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and she, and they say, oh, well then, because they know the area, they go, well then, have have you met the queen? (laughs) (laughs) And this is, I just thought was so great. She goes, well, no. I've never met her, but this gentleman has met her many times. <laughs> I just thought that was great. The best part of that story is that because the bodyguard, had, they, he apparently knew the queen, right? Like, right. In their eyes. They handed her the camera yes, they- <laughs> to take a picture with them and the bodyguard. So somewhere yeah. there is a picture of this couple with the queen's bodyguard taken yes. by the queen. Now tell me, tell me that's not an NFT for sale somewhere. And that's right? a better story. Yeah. You know, I think it'd be, if if it was me, I would rather be like, you see this? The Queen of England took this picture of us. That's yes. even better than if it was a picture with the Queen. Yeah, exactly. Don't you think? I do. So I just, yeah, I thought that was a great story. Well, yeah. Hey, so uh, I just got back from Chicago. I was up there teaching the uh, the Windy City, the wind, oh, the Windy whew. City of Big Shoulders, Gary. It's a big shoulders. Why does it have big shoulders? Because it's windy. You wear a bit lots of coats. Oh, that's <laughs> that's, that's right. true. The Chicago is called the, the 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 city of big shoulders. I I think you made that up. I don't even need to Google to verify no, that's not, not true. true. 
Not true. Yeah. Okay. Florida is called Florida is called the uh, the uh, Tampa is called the the city of cargo pants. <laughs> Orlando is called the uh, city of sweaty pit stains. Yeah, it's uh, we have we have a lot of a lot of culture, a lot of mwah, a lot of uh, a lot yeah, of yeah, so much so much culture to our tradition. Yeah, so uh, got back from Chicago yesterday. Was up there teaching a couple classes for the Professional Photographers Association of Northern Illinois, the PPANI. And uh, man, it was a good time. Nice group. But just uh, since uh, we had uh, quite a few bombardiers in attendance. And so I just wanted to acknowledge the bombardiers who came out. And so thank you, uh, David and Victoria and Dana and Carol and uh, anyone else I forgot, Latrice and all, all of you who came out to see me. I think that was really very cool of you. So thanks for that. Um, I got to tell you, I want to talk about something magical. All right. I want to talk about airports. And how magical an airport can be under the right conditions. Okay. Have you ever had one of those one of those drives? Because you you've done a lot of like the same drive back and forth to like the beach where you do foot where you do photographs of people on the beach, and you know you have those drives that are usually like really arduous, but every once in a while you do like a straight shot, and you mm-hmm. don't hit any lights, and there's no traffic, and it's just a really pleasant drive. I did this at O'Hare Airport for the flight back, so I have TSA pre-check. And I have clear, and I had uh, you know pre-checked, pre-printed my bag, my bag tags. Carol dropped me off at O'Hare. I got out of the car, and seven minutes later, I was at my gate with a Starbucks in my hand. Like that's through bag drop. There was literally there's nobody at bag drop, and I just walked up to the counter and dropped my bag. I was the only person in line. I go right over to clear. I'm the only person. I was the only person in security. And then when I got to my gate, I was the only person in Starbucks. Have you ever seen a Starbucks at an wow. airport with no line? No. I've never seen a Starbucks anywhere. With right, but no but line. airports especially bad. Yeah, like because it's the only decent coffee at the airport usually, unless there's a Costa, which has it also has a line, or like one of the other ones. And so it was just a straight shot. So it is the timing was great, but seriously, pre-check and clear i don't understand why everyone doesn't have these things it makes no sense not to have these things free checks like 75 dollars for two right. years right and clear is like it's like 150 bucks for the first person and then 50 dollars for every family member after that and someone walks you right up past everyone else in line and you just get to look at all those people and just be like why don't you have this and then you just walk through when you do clear do you don't you still have to put your bags on the belt and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, but you don't have to wait in the line at all. They take you right to where you put your bags on the belt. Yeah, but if you're at pre-check, there's not usually not much of a line anyway. Right, there's still a line though, and sometimes it's 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 busy. It's it it okay. moves faster. Yeah, I've never I've never really experienced a very long line in pre-check though. I guess that's why I've never felt I need to get If clear. you have clear and you don't have pre-check, you go to the front of the regular line and then you still have to take your shoes off and stuff. And okay. then if you have clear and pre-check, you go to the front of the pre-check line, and then you don't have to take your shoes off or anything. There's zero line. At clear, you walk up there, somebody walks you right back, you scan your fingerprints, and then they walk you right there. You what do you line. skip with clear? The line. I, I understand you skip the line, but what in the process do you not do? Wait in the line to get to I understand to that you skip the line. What I'm trying to figure out is why is it to their benefit to move you to the front of the line? If they're moving you to the front of the line, then it must be something that the people in line have to do that you don't have to do. and that You don't have to show your ID. 
Thank you. So you don't have to do that. That when you first when you get to the end of the line, you first thing you walk up to somebody, you show them your ID, you show or whatever, and you pull down your mat. You don't do that. You no, skip that person. That's correct. Okay. That, that's what I was trying to figure out is what what step in the method there do you not? Now do? you skip the line and you don't have to show your ID because you already did a fingerprint scan. Or like, so you walk up to the front. You, they walk you to the front. You scan what? Scan your fingerprints. Yeah, and or or your retinal scan, either one, and then they just and then you go straight to the to the to the luggage thing. One of their people walk you right by the security, and I go, "He's cool," and then you just walk by. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty neat. Now, how much time does that really save, though? I mean, the scanning part. How long does that take versus giving them your license when they do? Because that seems pretty quick when they get the license. Thing. Well, I don't have to wait in line to show my license either. I understand you don't have to wait in line. I'm not. They don't give. A, they don't care if you have to wait in line or not. I don't think you're giving not waiting in line enough credit. <laughs> I no for you, yes. But I'm looking at it from their side. What what are they gaining by having you do it this way? And my hundred and fifty dollars, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there we go. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Is it really just pay to play? Is it really just, it doesn't really cut a lot of time or anything out of the steps. It's just another way to get money. I, I have been to the airport, Atlanta and, or, and Orlando, especially at times when the pre-check line is nearly as long as the regular line. Yes, I've seen that too, at Atlanta especially. Yeah, yeah. So, because especially places get a lot of business travelers, they all business travelers, just who anybody who travels a lot eventually will get pre-check. And so, yeah, that, that line can be nearly as long and so uh, i get to go to the front of that not show my id not take my shoes off not take my laptop out of my bag and i can get to the starbucks sooner not that i'm a huge Starbucks guy but i do like a coffee i saw a thing yesterday uh, where a guy had done all this analysis and determined the top 10 markets in the united states where they need high-speed rail and it was determined by the fact that high-speed rail at, at a distance of less than 500 miles is actually better than flying if it's less than 500 miles okay and it was the top ten markets, and most some of the, most of them you'd know about it. Well, oh well, you know Los Angeles to Las Vegas, because there's a huge number of flights that make that every day. So that's what they look for. They're like, where are there like inside of 500 miles a buttload of flights that could be eliminated if we had high speed rail between those two destinations? Because you don't have to go three hours early and and do all that stuff. You just right. get on the train and go. And one of the I was surprised. One of the top ten markets that they listed was Orlando to Atlanta. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's a flight. Every, like four different it was like 60 or 80 flights a day between orlando and atlanta yeah i always fly delta and it's every right. hour on the and hour. they said sure a lot of it's probably delta connecting uh but they said there's there's presidents i think uh lufanza and stuff like that they have things where you still buy one ticket including a train so you would go down get on the train it would take you to atlanta and then you would get on your flight instead of flying to atlanta and changing planes mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah on a high on high speed rail and the trip would be about all told probably less time when you figure all the checking in and doing all the stuff that you would have to yeah, do. Yeah, there's a lot of legislation right now in the state of Florida around a high-speed rail and, right. and where it's going to go. And I was shocked to find out that one of the financial contributors to this, which is basically going to be um, the Tampa to Orlando run, goes by the and there's, you know, and airport theme parks, is Universal Studios. And I thought, well, of course they are. But why not Disney? Like, it's 2022. I don't understand why we don't have a monorail that goes from the airport to Disney World. Why isn't there a, a system that goes? Is, why are they running so many buses? Like there should be a there should be a bus where Mickey Mouse is the engineer, and you just get to go on. Ha ha! Let's go, and you just go and you do the thing. Like it does. You still have to go and wait 
in like the bus area and get on a bus. Like you should just walk onto an automated train where where you get to sing Disney music all the way down to Disney. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally it's a straight shot to Disney from the airport and just like build a monorail. But the problem is is like the monorail is always broken anyway, isn't it? Like it's right. it's half the time it's broken. Like is it? Yeah, you know, it breaks all the time. Like you just get stuck on a monorail. It's it's a pretty regular thing. Oh. Yeah. But there you go. Well, yeah, I'm a big fan of the idea of, of high-speed rail. But uh, the problem with America's rail versus other countries that have high-speed rail is, one, we're so th- spread out. But the second thing is that our rail lines are not built for speed. They're not built for people. They've never been built for that. Our rail lines are built for transporting cargo cheaply. And so the whole adding, putting people on our rail lines has always been an after, as just an aftermarket thing. It was never designed for that. It was always designed for transporting goods. And, and our rail lines do transport a, a buttload of our goods. People don't realize how much the railroads do transport still a lot of our goods. But I love the idea of high-speed rail. If you, you know, if you've ever gone to a country that's got a lot of rail, you're like, wow, this is really great. I just leave my hotel and go into cross station and catch a train and I'm in Yeah, it's, it's bonkers. Like if you go to the UK and I've taken the train from like London to Birmingham where like my sister is and it's it should you know it's probably about a two-hour train ride but seriously you ever you ever go buy a whole hillside full of sheep at uh (laughs) you can't even focus on them it's just like but it's 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 mad convenient like it's just unless you're living in a major city in the u.s and not even all major cities are good at this there is no decent public transport like New York no. City, you can get no. anywhere. Probably San Francisco, you can get anywhere. DC is pretty good. DC is pretty good. I went to visit in the nineties. I went to visit my cousin. He lived in Maryland, and we would just go out of his house, uh, catch the bus at the corner. It would drop us at the subway station. It would take us right into downtown DC. And then we wanted to go to New York. We just took. We went to whatever station we went to. Caught a train. The train took us into New York, and so with all everything we did was train. So. I uh, had an experience while I was gone. You know how uh, whenever you go out of town, your wife just screws everything up. Do you ever have that experience? Your wife just ruins everything the minute. No, and I don't imagine you do either. No, I don't. But like, it seems like uh, it's. I like it. I imagine if she goes out of town, correct? It's chaos. Yes, that was the joke. Yeah, yeah. When she goes out of town, it's me calling her. Like, where are the things? How do you do this? You know, Ellie says that you're supposed to do this. I don't know how to do that. So. Whenever I go out of town and something bad happens, even if it's bad, there's just a little part of me that's like, yes, like, like I am not the, the, I'm not as bad a parent as I think. She's clearly the better parent, but she's not infallible. So I take a little bit of joy when something goes wrong when I'm gone, just so it makes me feel needed and not quite as inferior. Do you ever have that experience? Like when, even when your kids were younger? Uh, No. Well, in no, this case. no, because there's never no. My wife is so unbelievably capable that it's never like a you know whining to me on the phone how I, she wishes I was here because I could fix something. Yeah, no, no. More no. more than likely, it's like I'm glad you're not here because I can hire a professional to fix this problem. <laughs> I no, no. Julie would Julie would never call me and complain that she needed me to come home, but she would handle whatever happens. It's just the idea that 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 something went wrong, and it's right. not just me. Like I'm not the only one who screws things up. Okay, yeah. it was cool. So my daughter uh, likes to do handstands. My oldest daughter, she thinks it's like the coolest thing in the world. Does handstands all over the place. So this happened. When we were at the beach a couple of weeks ago at the Airbnb, she was doing a handstand on the couch at the Airbnb and fell over and knocked a lamp off a table and smashed the lamp. So now we have to buy the Airbnb a new lamp. <laughs> so then she's doing, um, and she, the other day while I'm in Chicago, she's doing a handstand 
in the crib in the baby's nursery. And then the, my three-year-old hucks a toy over and hits her in the face, and she falls over, and she bites a hole through her lip. Hole? Like, wow. bites through her lip. Okay, first of all, I need to back up. What was done to the toy to get it over? She hucks it, throws it, hucks it over, like, whoosh, just tosses hucks it. Hucks it over? Yeah, you give it a good old huck. You huck it over. You don't, you don't huck things? You never did huck you things? you just now make that up? I did not I've never up. in my life heard someone say something was hucked. Huck, well. I, I've heard throw. I've heard chunk it. <laughs> you know, chunk it, but I've never heard hucked. All right. I'm, does huck? Are you going to look up huck now? I'm just saying, are you like working on the hay bales on a riverboat in 1820? According to yourdictionary.com, huck means to throw or toss informally. I'm not saying, okay, I'm just saying I've never heard it. Is huck something people say that I'm not aware of? It's just some British thing, Gary. Yeah, well, no, it's not. It, do you, does it sound like a British thing? No. I know, and that's why I'm just so proud. I'm like, huck. Huck that over. Huck. Huckleberry okay. Finn. All right. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> Best line in that entire movie. Val Kilmer, R.I.P. Actually, he's still alive. But uh, yeah, so uh, that happened. And so I get a call in the aftermath. And then, then there's my seven-year-old with a mark on her lip, and she's she's been through it. And then there's my wife, who's got that like kind of shell shock look like, I can't believe this happened. But here's the other thing that we learned. The other thing that we learned is, if your child, it is very, very normal for a kid to bite through their own lip. Happens oh, all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. This is, I've had four kids, and this is the first bite through the lip incident we've had. Oh, I had horrible buck teeth when I was a kid, and I'd fall down the stairs all the time and go right through my lips. And you don't have to go to the hospital for it. Like, as no. long as you can stop oh, the no, bleeding, you just, you just let it go. No. Kids like, you know, here, here's some Campo Fanique. What's a Campo Fanique? Campo Fanique? It's the stuff you put on kids in, in, in 1970 when they get a bug bite or whatever. You put, the, you put some Campo Fanique or some, uh, what's, the, what's the pink stuff? Pepto-Bismol? No, no. The pink stuff you put on, on like, a, like a mosquito bite or whatever. Calamine lotion. Calamine lotion and Campo Fanique. How do you spell I, Campo I, I pretty much Fanique. bathed in it growing up in the South. Campo Fanique. Um, uh, oh, it's a PH. That's why I couldn't find it. Hey, uh, this stuff uh, act actually still exists. Yeah, of course it does. It's like Robitussin. It's been around forever. I've never... It's, it's cold sore treatment. Yeah, Campo Fanique. You put it on cold sores. but you, So anything, anything wrong with your lips and stuff, your mom would put Campo Fanique in it. It was horrible. I've never seen this in my entire life. Yeah. It was horrible. Campo. <laughs> Campo Fanique. That's funny. <laughs> that was like a staple of my mom's medicine cabinet. You haven't, I've never heard of Campo Fanique. You apparently yeah. could buy it at Walgreens. You can get a 20, uh, 0.23 ounce tube for $8. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Like a hey, fifth of an ounce. You know ounce. what I started watching? I'm only halfway through it. Okay. Uh, is the new Thor movie? Love and Thunder. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. Okay, when they started making Thor kind of a little funny and a little juvenile in the Avengers movies, that was kind of cool. But now with this movie, it's just gone full like farce. The whole movie is yeah, just like I, yeah, full I don't like on it. farce now. I don't like funny Thor. Not into it. Yeah, I mean a little funny Thor, like funny fat drunk Thor because he didn't kill Thanos and stop the snap. No, I also didn't like that. I thought that was good. I thought that was just the right amount. But now it's like full, like this is his full blown personality all the time. And I'm like, okay, that's not the Thor we met the first three movies he was in. No, he's very, takes himself very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the all first like, three movies he was, he, he, he was like a, like a teenager, like an 18 year old no, teenager kind of character. No, I the thought. first two movies, that was Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh directed those. 
Right. He was serious, but still, he was like. There were some lighter moments, but overall. Drinks the coffee and he smashes it and, you know, more. You know, so but he was wasn't whole... being funny. It was funny right, because he was right. a fish, out, a of fish out of water. Yeah. Fish out of water. Yeah. Look yeah. at us go fish out of yeah. water. Did we just title the episode? And yeah. then, um, but the third one, Ragnarok, is where he got yes. silly. But I was okay with that because it was such a good movie. But now it's just, it's like they've doubled down on it. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I don't like funny Thor. I like uh, dour Shakespearean Thor. And he's funny because he takes himself too seriously. I like that. I feel like what happened was they did Ragnarok. It was a huge success. And also that uh, Chris has shown that he has comedy chops. And they're like, oh, well, let's just, you know, this was a great success. And he's funny. So let's just roll with that. And now they've just, I mean, but it's not just him. Every character around him is that way now, too. Right. They're all, they're all just farcical funny. Overall, I like the movie, but I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know, whatever. It, the thing is, the good, the good thing about Marvel is, is that they're making so much stuff that right. not all of it is. And if you think that everything they make is going to be for you, then you no. are mistaken. Like, I'm watching She-Hulk right now, and I can clearly tell that there are people that hate this because they never read the comics, and they don't realize it. I actually like it, because if you read that... And that's the thing about the comics, if you know anything about the comics, is that that will happen in the comics, too. Characters in the comics will be... You know, a new writer takes over and suddenly takes the character in a completely different generate you know way than it's ever been done before, and then a new writer takes over and takes it back the way it was before. Or something. Yeah. I mean, it's it, there's no continuity. But I, but I just think they went too far with Hulk. I mean, I'm sorry, with Thor. With Thor. I mean, this is this is a guy who literally is like the strongest person in in the. He is the Superman of the Marvel universe. Is he? Pretty much. You think so? Yeah. Pretty hmm. much. He's the, he's he's the strongest Avenger by far. Even 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 stronger than uh, Hulk. If he had, if they, I, I'm pretty sure he's beat Hulk. Mm, I think everybody's beat everybody at he's some point. He's a god. Point. He's he's you know? he's he's. he's He's yeah, whatever. I just I always thought he's, he's kind of boring. I thought there was all. I always thought there was a boring comic character. Personally. Oh yeah, I too. I never liked him in the comics yeah, yeah. because he's very boring. And now and now it's completely in another direction. And who who's who, who? What what comic book character do you like? Was like your character? Uh, not Spider Man. Surprisingly enough, uh, I was a big. I was. I was Could a have big been Spider Man's a photographer. Fan. That's like the obvious. I know, choice. but I, I I didn't like comic. I didn't like comics that were about kids. I like comics that are about grown-ups. So I always liked, I always liked uh, the X-Men more, for example. They were kind of kids when they first started. But now they've gotten older. I like old X-Men, like Scott Summers, who's now this older guy who's been running the X-Men for years. And I like, I like his story and his arc. But my, one of my favorite characters, not, not as like a hero or whatever, but just the one I've had a crush on forever, is uh, Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride, the Kitty most Pride. boring character in yes, the Marvel Yes, Shadow. She had like fourteen names and, and the whole nine yards. But I just like her because she's just a cute little Jewish girl, you know. And they all and they played that up too, which is great. She was the first Jewish superhero, and uh, and I've just always liked her. And um, when Josh Whedon wrote the books, uh, he uh, he let her really shine, and it was great. She became a grown up. She became a teacher at the school. She became you know, and I so yeah, I actually like Kitty Pride a lot. That's not what I where I thought you were going to go with that. I know, I know. And she, oh, and she got to have sex with uh, with uh, with what's his face, Colossus. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. And this is this, and it's great. It just shows a bunch of students downstairs on the couch watching TV, and then suddenly she falls through the ceiling with a blanket. 
<laughs> and hits the ground and just jumps up and goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, and runs out of the room, <laughs> leading you to figure out that she phased in the middle of sex and went through the floor. Yeah. That's <laughs> and I was like, I oh, see. Bit. I enjoyed that. That's that, fun. That's a pretty good bit. I also recently watched uh, the worst movie I've ever seen. Okay. Stallone's got a new one on Amazon oh. called Samaritan. Mm. It's a superhero movie, kind of. I don't understand why Stallone doesn't understand. You either make a Rocky movie, which you're pretty good at. Um, you can make an Expendables, Expendables movie. Other than that, stick to cameos and small parts where you can kind of shine and be like, hey, wow, look, Sylvester Stallone did something kind of funny or something cool. Stop trying to go outside your safety zone. I know. It's hard for, hard for me to imagine telling someone who is at one time one of the biggest, highest paid action stars in the world to stay in your lane. Like he, yeah. he I, I, you know, even if it stinks, I think it's cool that he's trying to make movies and sometimes you're going to make a movie and it's going to be a bad movie. Like, gosh, the guy's like 75 years old and he's, right. you know, I, I hope that I'm able to make bad movies when I'm 75. That'd be great. But this uh, Samaritan movie, the only thing I want to say about it is this. There was some cool stuff in it, but overall, I'm pretty sure it was written by sixth graders. It was definitely written by... The dialogue was... and It's worth watching. It's one of those movies that's so bad. It's really fun to watch for someone else who likes to make fun of movies. Because the dialogue <laughs> is so shockingly bad. I think that um, it's not like awkward middling movie. It's just so bad that it's fun to watch how bad it is. Oh, I watch... I kind of feel the same way about the new Jurassic Park movie. I watch that too. Oh, I, I'm not even interested. Like, um, yeah. I've it's heard it's just, terrible. It's just... It's just so... It, I, you, I can only take so many times where something happens and you go, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. I'm sorry. They, they wouldn't... The, the train line would not be open to dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> you know, the, you, where dinosaurs could get into the train. That wouldn't... They wouldn't do that. You know, it's just... Uh, just again, 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 again through the whole movie. You're like, no, that's not the way it would work. Yeah, I watched uh, two terrible movies back to back. One was uh, Samaritan, and the other one was Morbius. <laughs> you seen? Oh it? yeah, I heard bad things about that. Too. It's it's it's, and I feel bad because I really think Jared Leto is a legitimately good actor, and he's really doing a good job. But it's just, it's just bad. It's just how do you, bad. how do they keep making bad movies? I don't know how bad movies get made. Tell me this, Boo Ray. Yeah. How does a bad movie get made? And how do you convince a movie studio to give you a hundred million dollars to make a bad movie? Like Like that bad girl. That bad girl movie was so bad they won't even release it. I like the thing is I feel like that any movie, any movie, you have to like let somebody read the script, right? Right. And then you have to hire a director that you feel is competent, right? And then you have to hire like experienced crew. And then, like, you do test screenings and you watch the dailies. Like, I feel like it's it, – how are bad movies getting made? I tell you what I think it is. I think the problem now is that they make movies when the script's really not ready. So many movies now, there's so much improv and so much working it out on set. And I think that's where the real problem is. It, that If you've got a super strong script going in and you hire a competent director, that's all you need. It's going to be fine. I think that if that, that they need so much content. Because people burn through it so fast now. That's true. That they got to rush as many things to this big and small screen as they can. Especially the small screen, they're like, well, nobody cares if it's bad because it's part of your Amazon Prime subscription. So who cares? Like, <laughs> it's not like you went, you laid out, you went to the movies and you laid out, you know, 60 bucks ahead to get popcorn and movie tickets and it was awful. Like, this is like, eh, well, just click over to the next thing. It's not a big deal. So, yeah. Well, I'm upset about the Batgirl thing because Michael Keaton was in it 
Well, repri- reprising the role of Batman. No, that's in the Flash movies. I was in the Batgirl. Also, also in Batgirl. Really? Well, yeah, it'll yeah. come out eventually. I don't know. I, they'll release it. Maybe something. I don't know. It'll, it'll get. Uh, hey, you know, we got to get moving. Oh my God! Yeah, we got. Look, look at the. Would you look at the time? Look at the time. Look at the time. We got it a lot is of time news. for photography news. Photography, photography news. news. If you're like most photographers, you didn't go into business for the paperwork. Does the chaos of invoices, emails, and to-dos make you crazy? Well, that's where 17 Hats comes in. Their all-in-one mobile-friendly platform organizes your business. 17 Hats handles the time-sucking tasks like payment reminders, capturing leads, scheduling your images. With 17 Hats, important emails go out automatically, and quotes, contracts, and invoices, click, click, paid. Small wonder that thousands of photographers swear by 17 Hats. You'll free up so much time from day-to-day stealing to-dos, it's like you've cloned yourself. You'll be able to focus on what you do best, photography. Meanwhile, 17 Hats does exactly what you need done to manage your business, just as if you were doing it. So why not clone yourself with 17 Hats? Visit 17hats.com to learn more. And be sure and use the code PHOTOBOMB to get 50% off your first year. All right, the big photography news this week uh, that you know you and I have been talking about is the Fuji X-H2. Oh, man, this was, uh, we cannot not talk about the X-H2. We've known all the statistics and all the stats on this camera for a while, but now it's a big week because it's available for pre-order finally. So if you want to go to Adorama or wherever, Amazon, wherever you shop and buy the Fuji X-H2, you can get it on hold right now. Uh, $1,999, so it's two grand. For the Fuji X2. What do you think the competitors are in that price range at two grand? Because it's more than the X-T4, not as much as like the Canon R6 at twenty five hundred. You know, more than the R7 at fifty. I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe Sony. Does Sony make something that's? First of all, when you're talking about what's the competitors, are you talking just in the APS-C space, or are you talking across anything? Yeah, like we're in the APS-C space. You're going to spend two grand. That that's a high end of the APS-C market. It's just it is it is a high end, but it's also there's nowhere in the APS-C space where you're going to get a 40 megapixel sensor. Yeah, this uh, just to <laughs> recap a couple of things that this camera does. If you're not familiar, um, one it is backside illuminated X-trans sensor that is right. 40 megapixels, and apparently which, according which makes it the largest. Yeah, according to say. Fuji, that's the largest. It also does a pixel shift where it will take 20 images, and you can get a using the in-body image stabilization to move the sensor around, and you can get a 120 megapixel image off of it, which is... I read 160. 100, I'm sorry, you're right, 160 megapixel image off of it. Now, for landscape photographers, et cetera, like that, that, that you know, to get something really high-resolution product photographers, that would really be incredible. Um, it also does, it's the first APS-C camera to do 8K video, and mm-hmm. it does down-sampled 6K and 4K video, so it has, um, it, it doesn't have some of the things that the X-H2, oh, God, they got to come up with different names, X-H2S has. For example, it doesn't have a stacked sensor, so it's going to have more of a problem with rolling shutter. It's not going to shoot quite as fast. Because of the larger megapixels, you're not going to be able to shoot as many frames per second and clear the buffer as fast as you can. So um, it's definitely more concentrated on leaning into the large megapixels and what that means and less of a video-centric camera due to some of the options, but it really still does 8K and can do some pretty incredible stuff even when you record externally, like it can shoot in Apple ProRes or Blackmagic's, uh, whatever it's called, B-RAW format. Like, it's a for two grand. Yeah. 
Like as is always the case, it's always you go. This is some pretty good stuff, and then when you get to the price, you go, "Oh my goodness!" For that price, this is <laughs> this is really. It becomes much more. Wow, automatic windows, big deal for five thousand dollar car. Wow, <laughs> and then it becomes a big deal. I'm impressed with with with, with what they put into it. The, I, the base ISO drops down to one twenty five. It's one sixty on other uh, Fuji models, so that gives you a little bit more if you're shooting in bright sunlight. Uh, tops out at fifty one thousand eight hundred, and they say that um, working in low light, that the signal-to-noise ratio, which means, you know, noise, um, is not going to be as bad. They, that that's, this is supposed to, it's supposed to be really good in low light. Well, So we shall see. Here's the problem I have. Now, I was going to ask you why you're not going to buy it. Because you're not going to buy it. I may buy it. I, st- I want it. I want that bigger grip. I want, I, I you know, I, I hate to say this, but I'm ready to get rid of all the dials and go to the one dial that I can just have preset for this is for, you know, and I can just, I'm, I'm perfectly cool with all that. But what bothers me is that they've already said they're going to announce the um, X-T5 this year. Mm. So we're now, we're going into the last half of the year now. So before, so in the next couple of months, they're going to announce the X-T5 and I can't figure out what the X-T5 is going to do. I was just going to ask you, what do you think that the X-T5 is going to do that you're going to want? I don't. I don't know that it's going to do a whole lot that I want, but I don't. What, what could you add to How your How different XT4? can it be from the X-H2? Uh, yeah, but uh, that's what my point being, because last time they did this with the X-H1, they came out with the X-T4, and the X-H1 was basically obsolete as soon as the X-T4 came right, out. Right, but the X-H, the X-T4 didn't come out till I, I think, a year or, two, or at least two, maybe two years after the right, X-H1. Right, but they took forever to come out with this X-H2. I think, the, I think the X-T3 came out after the X-H1, and then the X-T4 came right, out. Right, right. Right, so now it's like they're coming back right back with the XC, and I'm like, so is this going to be a 40 megapixel ca- uh, camera? So I'm going to ask you this: What would you improve on your XT4 for you? that would that that would help you with your day to day, ergonomically, physically, electronically, or Ergon- ergonomic? I would improve the ergonomics. Um, anything else would be just a wishing. You know, sure, 40 megapixel sensor would be great, but it's not it's not a deal killer. So my point is this. They're not going to change the body of the X-T4 to be more ergonomic. No. When, when they come out with an X-T5. No. It's just going to do 6K video. It's going to have a faster uh, frames per second. You know, it's just going to have stuff like that that you'll never use. Right. The only thing that matters to you is that the camera, the biggest problem you've always had is that the camera's uncomfortable to hold. Right. And the only camera that's going to solve that for you is getting the X-H2. Which will also come with a 40 megapixel sensor. Correct. Which is kind of cool. So, yeah, so this is, yeah, I'm getting this camera. I'm sure I'm getting this camera, but I'm still just, I'm still curious to see if they come out with the, the, the X-T5 has got to come out at a lower price point and a significantly lower. It can't come out $200 right, less. But the only thing you care about is ergonomics. Yeah, but I, what I'm saying is from a marketing standpoint, if you're Fuji, you can't come out with the X-T5 and have it be 200 bucks less than the X-H2 and and not do something what makes it stand out just the way it looks the the fact that it looks cool you know what what, what's going to draw people to the xt5 if they can get the xh2 for a few hundred bucks more and the bigger sensor they're going to have the same autofocus system you know they are yes fuji is sometimes really bad about differentiating its cameras from each other by functionality ergonomics is the main differentiator between their cameras you know what i mean like the, the way that they look and feel. Right. The X-Pro series is totally different feeling and right. everything than the X-T series. They all have, you know, they, they use similar sensor technology, similar autofocus. And if they don't, they update it via firmware. So, like, you know, I think that 
I, you're gonna get that this X, XH2. You're gonna because you're gonna see the XT5 come out, and you're gonna be like, well, it's somewhat better than my XT4, but it still is not good ergonomically for me. But if the XT5 comes out at fourteen hundred, it won't. It, it won't, won't though. You know, it's gonna come out. Where do you think it's gonna come out? I think it's gonna come out at sixteen five. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fifteen hundred bucks. Because that's what it should be more than fifteen. No, because it's got to compete with the R7. The R7 is the only camera out there in the APS-C line that pros are going to take seriously enough to use based on features and price point. They can't come out more expensive than the R7 unless they have significantly improved features. And for the as far as the R7 is concerned, there's not a damn thing wrong with that camera. The only thing wrong with that camera is that you might not want it because it's APS-C sensor, but it is a phenomenal machine. I don't know if you even mentioned last week that I bought the R7. And that I've been using it. And it is a phenomenal camera. The like the high ISOs, the low light capability, like in that category, it is almost dead equal in almost every respect to the XT4, except it's slightly better in about four or five little areas because it's newer. But right. overall, like that's the camera that the XT5 has to beat is the R7. And because Canon's bigger, they got deeper pockets. Uh, and that's I just don't know how it I just don't know how it, how it beats that without basically just being an XH2 that's in an XT4 body. I, I think that again, it's the way the cameras look differentiate Fujis a lot the most for people. You know, they do make specialized tools like the X100 series. The XT5 comes out, and as long as it's still got that retro look, that retro look is going to keep people hooked. People don't want to get the X8. They want the XH2, but they want it to look like the XT5. Like nobody wants to go X, nobody wants to go to the XH model. That's more of the pro camera, like the prosumer market influencers, creators, or just hobbyists who take pictures for fun. The sexiest thing about the XT4, besides its great features, is the way that it looks. Yeah, I, that's valid. You know, it's it's crazy to think that at this day and age, at this level of photography, that still they're building a whole market for one of the most successful cameras around the way it looks. Well, dude, we're we're visual creators. Of course they yeah. are. Of course, they are visual people. You don't want a big, ugly camera. You want something. You say, of course we are, but nobody else does it. What? Olympus makes those cool retro. Canon doesn't make their 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 cameras look beautiful. No, but they big globby. You know, they make them comfortable. They yeah, that's true. They are they are form after function, but they do make a uh, a really nice feeling camera. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just got good curves to it. You wrap your, oh, it feels great in the hand. Feels great. It feels great in the hand. Great sure. in the hand. Yeah, and it doesn't get too hot anymore. It's just the right temperature in your right. hand, and it gives a little bit, but it's still firm, you know? Like, you don't want it to be too hard because it could be painful. You want to mm-hmm. have a little bit of give in there, but not mm-hmm. too soft because then you feel like, they're, you know, it's not going to get the job done. Have you noticed that as you've gotten older that your grip on the camera has changed? Like maybe when you were younger, you held it tighter. Yeah, you know, I I think I'm a little more gentle right now. Like I'm not yeah. worried it's gonna it's gonna go away. You know, Mike. Uh, I feel like it. You could you could say that as I've become a master of my craft, that I've learned to hold the camera more delicately. I, I hold it more gently in my hands, and I give it a little breathing room because I feel like if I hold it too tight, that it may not work correctly. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Like you you're don't, afraid of a malfunction. Yeah, you don't want to squeeze it too hard, you know, because okay. then something might go wrong. <laughs> like, All right. I'm All not right. going to take for look. I've had this camera for a while, so I'm not going to take for granted that it's still working. So okay. you know, I, if you squeeze it too tight, I feel like that it might hurt something. So I like it, a, a nice soft grip. Yeah. Firm, but yielding. and you're still young. I mean, when you get to my age, really, you're just happy to be picking it up. Yeah, you're just happy you can still hold it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're just happy that you can still get your hand around it. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that, brother. So, also, by the way, before we move on from Fuji, a couple of other announcements this week. Yeah, they hit did it. announce their uh, 56 millimeter 1.2 RWR. 
I okay. <laughs> yeah, the RWR. Uh, this is a you know this is going to have a, a bokeh that's unbelievable. This is a 56 millimeter 1.2, which then is going to be equivalent to about an 85 millimeter uh, 1.2 on an APS-C camera. So uh, it's going to list for about a thousand dollars. And they also listed, if you're a big medium format guy, that they are coming out with a new lens for the GFX series. Yeah, they got a new wide angle, don't they? Yeah, 20 to 35 millimeter f4. It's uh, it's an interesting you know idea, the medium format thing. I just well, when you think about it, it goes in reverse because, like, you know, right. if you so a twenty-five, to, a twenty to thirty-five millimeter medium format is like what? It's like a sixteen to twenty-four. So it's only about four down. Yeah, it's an ultra. Yeah, it's an ultra wide. Yeah, it just watched. Uh, if you watch the 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 very cool and very knowledgeable Seth Miranda on Adorama TV, they've got a great video he just did where he talks about the XH2 and this lens, and he shows you some portraits that he does with it and uh, on that GFX series. And so it is essentially, I think it's about a 15 to 24 millimeter equivalent when you get it onto that medium format body. Yeah, it does the uh, reverse effect of putting on APS-C sensor because it's larger. Right. I got to tell you, in the back of my head, I still have that little, little thing in the back of my head that says at some point before I quit this game, I might make the jump to medium format. Dude, I bet you, like, it would be so cool. There's just no way that I wouldn't love it, you know? And they were showing, and uh, and he showed some files and some images off of it, and it's just very, very cool. Um, Speaking of the medium format game, we mentioned briefly a couple of weeks ago that Hasselblad had a new camera coming out, and I think the episode aired the day it came out. And so we have some more information on that. So Hasselblad has come out with the X2D 100C. So this is a 100 megapixel medium format camera, and it's got a couple interesting features that I thought were worth talking about. Obviously, this is a Hasselblad. The image quality is going to be great. It's not really meant for speed. It's not really built to like high bursts. It's built for still image quality, portraits, landscapes, but it's not a sports shooting camera. It doesn't aspire to be. It's not in the race for speed. It wants just straight up image quality as you go. And so it really does deliver on that from what I'm reading. Here's the interesting thing that I thought. It has no video. This is a camera that is $9,000. Wow. And it has no video. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing because uh, I actually kind of like the way these look. And apparently the, the menu systems are fantastic. The experience of shooting with them is much improved. It has two very curious things. Oh, man, by the way, if you hear a little noise, it just started pissing down rain here. Um, <laughs> it has a one terabyte hard drive built into it, and it also has no video. Okay. Isn't that wild? Like a one terabyte hard drive built into the camera in 2022 just feels weird, but at the same time, would it be cool like to not have to, like, oops, I forgot my memory card, or to constantly have a backup? On camera, like a terabyte would, I mean, even with a 100 megapixel camera, a terabyte would take a while to fill up, you know? So you have to plug it in. So you bring it back and you, you plug it in to get the files off. Well, of it still takes a card. It still takes, I think, a USA, UHS-2 SD card, and it has a, hard, a one terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Do you think that's the future? Do you think that, uh, that it's only a matter of time before we start seeing hard drives built into the cameras? I, you know, I, I, it, would, it would probably, it would give you the ability to not have to worry about your card speed and crap like that. You That's know? true. Like, but when you think about the march and progress of this sort of stuff, it tends to go the other way. Ten, things tend to start out with it's built in. And then, and then when someone comes out with a way where you can swap in newer and better, 
you know, to improve, you know, like, like my, you know, that's the way it tends to go. So we, it would be, we'd kind of be going backwards if we went away from being able to put whatever card you want in your camera to know you're stuck with what we, with what, what's built into it. I think you could make an argument for it either way, to be honest with you, but you know, I don't care because this camera is one I'll, I mean, it, it's really pretty. I'm sure the glass is beautiful. Hasselblad always puts out great image quality. But for a working pro doing what I do, one, the image quality and the resolution are kind of overkill. Two, it doesn't do video, so it's almost useless to me as kind of a creator. I would love to play with one because it would really be cool to see what these files look like. But for me, it's not practical. For most of the people, I know it's not practical. But uh, I I think that the decision to put no video in it is is almost like a statement piece. Listen, I wish someone else would make that statement. I would love it if if Fuji would or whoever would come out with more cameras. No, there's no video. This is for photography. Cuz you and I are opposites on that. I don't want to do video. I don't I don't care that I like we talk about the 8K capability of the XH XH2. I'm like that's just wasted on me. I'm not using it for that. You know, and so how much more am I paying for this camera because it's got that? I think with this camera, you're paying more for the one terabyte hard drive than you are for anything yeah. else. You know, and that's a way more than I need. What's how big are the files? I think that the files are about 150 megabytes a piece, and after okay. and if you process a full size JPEG, they get they're about 48, 33 and 48 megabytes. Oh yeah, okay. A raw file on this camera is 200 megabytes. Oh, okay. So terabytes not so much now. Yeah. <laughs> not so much you think about no. it. Yeah, you'll, <laughs> no. fill it, you'll fill it up pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, it's a good backup, though. This isn't a speed shooter. This isn't when you just load up with photos. But I would really, some of the photos they're posting, they do really have uh, a nice quality to them. So for people who like Hasselblad, have a lot of money, and don't need to take that many pictures, it'll be very cool. I'm sure it's gorgeous. But, I, you know, for me, investing in a Fuji medium format would probably be the way to go. Just as you could, pro- you could get a, a really good Fuji medium format camera for half this price, and I bet the lenses are quite a bit cheaper too. I read a thing uh, this week that Adobe is putting together a camera app that they want to uh, market out to, for people for their cell phones. Okay. And uh, interesting because uh, the guy who's behind it is uh, Adobe's vice president, Mark, I don't know if it's Lavoy or Levoy. Uh, we'll go with Lavoy. Mark Lavoy, who used to work for Google and is credited as being the person who invented the term computational photography. Okay. And he says it's going to open up a lot more computational photography, photography and it's going to be named, aimed at people who have experience fiddling with traditional camera settings like autofocus, shutter speed, color, focal length, and aperture. He said when he was at Google, anytime he tried to do anything like that, Google was like, no, one click. It needs to be one click and it does everything for you. And now over at Adobe, he's excited because he's going to be able to do stuff well basically for us you know he said that uh, he said that uh, at google he had to uh, democratize good photography and now at adobe he's trying to create an app that will democratize um creative photography that's giving you cool. more control it would be really nice because you get uh, you know i have asked the question before is like what's a really good camera app to use for pros so we have manual control and there are a few out there but i don't think there's really a great one to be honest with you and i've tried a bunch of them especially and they're not very intuitive yeah, and, and but something that would also work with the files coming from the phone, because once you take out the computational photography that the iPhone and et cetera are putting into the small, you know, censored, really crappy files, then the files look like crap. So really, oh, I mean, yeah, you're better off. You're better <laughs> yeah. off letting the phone do its thing most of the time. 
And so, uh, I, you know, I'm excited. I hope that the Adobe, if anybody can do it, it's Adobe to come out with sure. a really cool camera app that pro photographers will love that'll give you just a little bit more manual control. That'd be a lot of fun to play with. So uh, the other big story, as we get towards the end of our episode this time, the other big story I want to talk about is Canon and the controversy over its uh, sharing or allowing other companies, third parties, to make autofocus RF mount lenses. Because recently yes. they, uh, you know, they have told basically told Viltrox, it's like, get out of the pool, you're out, you're done, go home. And um, and it's a little disappointing for a lot of people because when people choose a camera system, they you know want the ability to buy third party lenses. And I would say more often than not, not because they're better, although I'm sure some people think that's the case for like some of those Sigma art lenses that a few people prefer, but mostly to save money. Like people want to save money by buying third party lenses that will do what they need to do if they don't need the quality. And, and all that of the L-series class from Canon. And so um, all, the arguments go either way. That Some people are really mad and they're saying, well, I wouldn't pick, I wouldn't go to Canon mirrorless because they don't have the third-party lens support that I want. And some people are on the other side that say Canon has a right to do whatever they want with their lens mount. And so what do you, what, what's your take on this? I'm really, I'm interested because you're not a Canon shooter, but so you're able to be objective. Whereas I, I'm a, I'm a definitely a, a career long Canon shooter. So just so everybody doesn't think that I'm the Canon money trucks backing up while, while I defend them. Well, it's my understanding that the problem really is, is in the autofocus system. I think that Canon has not, they haven't licensed this. And so they haven't released the specs. So what's happening is they're reverse engineering it. Right. And so that you have to reverse engineer what Canon has done so that your lens will, will talk to what they're doing. And I totally get what Canon is doing, and you have a right to protect that property. However, I also know that when I was, you know, it wasn't long after I started out when I started using, because they were just doing a better job, when I started using uh, third-party flashes on my Canon camera that were working TTL and, and off-camera TTL and stuff, when Canon was not making this, and so they had to go in and reverse engineer how Canon's flash talk, you know, flash mount talked to its flash. They had to reverse engineer all that and figure it out so they could program it into a transmitter. And they did. And that innovation prompted us to get to the point now where every flash does it. Right. So it's like, I get that you have a right to protect what you've got there. But at the same time, are you stifling innovation? Because, you know, because you are removing your equipment from the free market economy and the free market economy is what drives all innovation it's somebody trying to make something better than what you're making and that they can sell to your customers right can you think of an equivalent though of a company where a camera is useless without a lens right so right. like you have to make a camera and then you have to make a lens for it and then you have to make a bunch of lenses for it that please everybody across all these different disciplines inside the profession can you think of another product where you have to buy two things together or they don't work? Yes. What? Printers. Okay. Like printers and paper, printers and yeah. ink cartridges? Pr printers and ink. Okay. Yeah, that makes and sense. The print and the printer companies do the same thing. They do everything they can to keep third-party ink manufacturers from being able to have their ink work inside their printers. Right. Yeah. That's for even, even to the point of putting chips in them so that they won't recognize. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. What I mean to say is that I think that they will open it up but the argument on the canon side is that they want more of a head start essentially they want to 
fill out their RF lens lineup, and that if you were looking for well-built, competent other lenses that are less expensive that work on this, then they have the whole EF lineup that you can use an adapter and use, and then it opens up the possibility to all Tamron Sigma and all these other lenses and all the Canon EF lenses. So you like in reality, the usable lenses on, on the camera are almost infinite if you really think about it. Right, because you can get the you can get a Canon adapter. Right. But it's the, the which by the way, I use one every day. I've got one literally on my camera. Right now I'm shooting with the eighty five and the and the and the adapter on my R five. So they work great. Are they as good as native RF glass? I don't think so, but I haven't tested them all. But they work as good as they did on my mirrored DSLR. So um I you know is if it's access to a different variety of lenses no you do have access do, now I, do you think that it is wrong or a mistake for Canon to try get more lead time like this um, or do you think that's like totally justified and people should stop complaining I think if they can get it great I mean from a business point standpoint if I own Canon stock I'm like yeah you fight fight do whatever you can to keep people from from getting into your market share. But uh, from a consumer standpoint, I think it hurts us because it makes it harder for us to buy less expensive lenses for your expensive camera. You know, so it really just, it depends, you know, and which one is fair. Again, I don't know. I don't know how much you can make something and then restrict things that are attached to it or added to it or modular to it. I don't know how much a company should be allowed to do that. Should they be able to control everything that attaches to their piece of equipment? Or should it be like, no, you can make the lawnmower, but you can't say it only takes your blades. Or you can, you know? uh, actually. Like I know, it, you, I know, I know. And I'm saying I don't know if that's good or if that's bad. But, I mean, well, Apple, you know. You want to buy an Apple computer? That's great. But you can't buy other stuff to go inside your Apple computer. It, it's self-contained unit, and we and you can't put. Stuff, it's got more and more it. that way, yeah. Not without hacking it or, or avoiding the warranty. Right. Although that's that's been up for debate. Like right to repair is is a big deal. That's there still still being passed around courts. Yeah. So I so I so I don't know. I really don't know. I I'm typically I'm a person who very much respects the business side and says, listen, I make this thing, and if you want to buy this thing, great. And if you want to change it or whatever, then I'm saying no. You can buy it like this or not. I have the right to tell you. This is the, these are the terms of the thing I am selling. So I have the right to do that. But as a consumer, I don't know that that's the best thing for us. Yeah, it's certainly, I, well, I've never, never been a big third party lens user anyway. So honestly, this doesn't ruffle my feathers one bit. So I'm, Me neither. I, I, I use all Fuji lenses. I use all Canon. I have, I have a third party lens. I never use it. Exactly. I'm trying to see it from the other side though, you know, to be honest. And I think that this would already be a non-issue if we had not had a pandemic and supply chain issues. Because obviously Canon, according to lots of articles that I've read, have so many lenses in the pipeline on the roadmap. And the and the production and the de design and the distribution of those lenses are like slowed down by at least a couple of years. So like I think they would have a much fuller lens lineup if not for the pandemic and issues with supply chains. And I think they'd be a lot closer to getting ready to opening it up to third-party lenses because they'd be like, hey, not only do we have top-of-the-line L-series glass ready to go if you've got the money and you want the best there is, but we've also got a lot of in-the-middle and a lot of entry-level lenses for them out. I just don't think they've been able to put out as many as they wanted to in the in, over the time frame. So I think that by 
we'll be halfway through 2023 and it'll be like, okay, yeah, we've, we've got the lenses out that we want to get out. And I, and, and this will end up being a nothing story. And I don't think it'll really hurt the brand. It's just something for, you know, blogs and stuff to talk about, because if it's access to what variety of lenses you need, you have access to every third party lens they ever made for Canon, just not the native RF mount, which will come eventually. It's just, right. I think, you know, pandemic related delays in supply chain and, I'm, I think it's up to any manufacturer. If Nikon wanted to do the same thing for the Z mount, I'd say the same thing. It'd be like, well, so they can do that if they want to. <laughs> it's like sure. It's, it's, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely believe they have the right to do it. Uh, I just don't, I don't know as a consumer. Right. Is I, it possible that it. By, it, by protecting their RF mount that they are creating more bad will that's actually going to hurt them more in the long run? Is that possible? Uh, that remains to yeah. be seen. I don't think so. I just don't, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, I got a new car and I want to put a rubber mat in the back to protect the carpet. And I don't want to be told that I can only buy that rubber mat from Kia. Yeah. I want to be able to go buy a third party rubber mat. And I can. Yeah. You know? And so, and I think that we've reached a point now in our civilization where that's just expected. You're expected to have choices. Right. You know, people just expect to have choices. And they, they do. They just don't have the exact choices that they want at the moment, knowing that they will get those choices later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I want it yeah. right now, right this right. second. And hey, you know, here's the other thing that's cool, though. They're not going to start coming out with RF, RF mount cameras. And by the time that they have they open this up to third parties, Tamron, Sigma, Viltrox, and everybody else, they're going to have so many good ones ready to go. That you know what I mean? The market's just going to get flooded with alternative options for this mount, I think. And so we'll see. Or, or not. Or they won't work on them at all because they don't know when and if it's going to happen. I also think it's really funny. I think it's really funny that now that you mentioned three, you say Tamron, Sigma, and Viltrox. How quickly Viltrox has become the third player when it comes to that. Because we never even heard of Viltrox like a year ago. Well, there are any other... There's Tamron and Sigma. I think that's It was Tamron and Sigma forever. For the last 10 years, it was only Tamron and Sigma. Those are the only two third-party lenses you ever talked about. Right. And now Viltrox suddenly. I mean, I was watching reviews the other day, and I'm still tempted. Viltrox makes a, a like a 24 equivalent, 24 millimeter, uh, like 1.8, 1.4 for Fuji. And the reviewers say it is the best lens in its in its millimeter period for Fuji. The Fuji's lens can't touch it. That it's and it's four hundred dollars. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, is it autofocus? <laughs> yes. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. 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 So I mean, I'm tempted, and for four hundred dollars, I'm tempted to buy it just to put it in my case, just for that last hour uh, at the bar mitzvah and the wedding when I'm shooting the dance floor. I can shoot at one point four. Or 1.8. And, yeah. And, Save yourself you know. two stops, you know, like that'd yeah, be pretty so, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's exciting times. All right. Photobomb is written and produced by Boo Ray Perry and Gary Hughes. It is edited by, edited by Face Fioretti. Woohoo! You can find us uh, online on facebook.com slash groups slash Bombardiers Lounge. Bombardiers. Our website is photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is hughesfioretti.com. So it is. My website is com, And you can always email us. Emails are sent to questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. See you later. Hey.